Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Acts chapter 3 tells the story of a man that was lame from his mother's womb who was laid every day at the gates of the temple, a gate specifically that they called the gate beautiful. The only thing he was capable of doing was to beg other people to supply his daily needs. Peter and John came by that day on their way to the temple to pray, to worship. And he saw the man laying there begging, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And the Bible said that his ankle and feet immediately received strength, and he, he, he leaped up. He jumped up. And, and I believe it's verse 8 says that he went with them, um, walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. First time in his life that he'd ever been able to do that. I preached at a church one time, had two blind folks in it. One, in conversation one night over a meal, I expressed that, that I can't imagine a life not being able to see. And um, I said, I feel, I feel sympathy um, for you not being able to see the beauty that God's created. And the woman immediately said, you don't have to feel sympathy for me because I, I went blind as an adult due to diabetes. So I, can, I got a good idea of what things look like and uh, I can recall that to memory. And the man who was born blind immediately spoke up and said, don't feel sorry for me, the first tree that I lay eyes on is going to be the tree of life. And I thought as Anna was signing this morning, can you imagine all those voices that have never spoken? The first word that comes off of their tongue is the name of Jesus. Those ears that have never heard, the first sound they hear is the heavenly choir. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to get there. Um, we have so much opportunity right now to, to, to walk in ways that please God, to leap and to praise Him, to see His beauty and to, um, and to hear and sing His glory, and we'd all be taking every opportunity of that. One day, those, there are going to be some folks in heaven one day show us how that's done, I promise you. Uh, but for now, we need to do our best to give Him the glory that He's worthy of. Um, we've been in Ephesians for weeks now, and the last four or five weeks, we've been talking about what it means to walk worthy. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 1, Paul starts out, because of who we are in Christ, because of all Christ has done for us. Those first three chapters just talk about our identity, our position, how God views us because of what Christ has done for us and because we placed our trust in Him. There's a lot of good stuff in that that tells us who we are. But chapter 4 begins the practical um, application of that in our life. And this is how Paul wrote a lot of his letters. He talked to us about the doctrinal stuff first, about what Jesus had done about who we were because of what Jesus had done, then he says, this is what that means for your life. And so Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, I want you, knowing what Christ has done for you and knowing who you are in Christ, to walk worthy. I want you to walk worthy of that vocation that you've been called into uh, as a Christian. I want you to live the kind of life that brings glory to the one that saved you. And so we've talked over the last few weeks about Paul broke it down for us. It's amazing to me. I've read this so many times and never seen how many times he used the word walk. 
But, um, but he told us that we need to walk in unity. Not that we have to create unity, but that we have to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Know that we're equal in the sight of God. There's no respecter of person. I don't mean more to him than you do, and you don't mean more to him than I do. And it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or you're a free man. It doesn't matter whether you're a king or a beggar. In the eyes of God, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we need to serve together in the kingdom in the spirit of unity that, that, that he has given to us as his beloved children. We need to walk with purpose. God is building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. And he's building it on the earth. In fact, Jesus said it was in us first. But it's not just in us, it's, it's in all of us and it's constantly expanding itself into the lives of those that will hear and believe the gospel. So we are his building on earth. He is building his kingdom and it lasts for all eternity. We need to walk with that purpose in mind and that kind of goes hand in hand with the message this morning. But we need to walk in holiness. And I told you last week that I believe that has more to do with the attitude of our heart than it does the outward expression of it. It has more to do with the Bible. God says, I'm holy. And I want you to be holy. And, um, and that's the command for us over and over, that we live lives of distinction, that we live lives that look differently um, than the world around us, that we're to walk in love, not just our definition of love, but walk with the same kind of love for each other that Christ had for us. And that's a, that's a tall order to feel. Um, but if Christ is in us and working through us, then it's capable for us to walk in that kind of love toward one another, especially within the context of the church. And extend that love to those that are outside. Last week we talked about walking in light. And that's very similar to walking in holiness. Although I believe holiness is the internal aspect. And walking in the light is the external aspect of it. And how that we live our lives differently. We speak differently. We live differently than the world that's around us. We left off in verse 14. <clears throat> and we're going to pick up in verse 15. But keep in mind that even though I'm breaking this apart, this is one letter for Paul. And his thoughts are not, they're not scattering, they're linking themselves together. So we're going to pick up in verse 15, but I'm gonna, I'll show you in a minute how verse 15 points back to verse 14. He said then, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, he started that passage of Scripture with see then. And if you, if you take that back to verse 14, how we ended last week is one reason we're supposed to walk in the light is because when we walk in the light, we reprove the works of darkness. I don't know anybody that's ever been saved that didn't first realize he was a sinner. First step in you coming to Christ is that you know that you need Christ. And when we walk in the light, when our lives are lived in the light, and we walk in that light, um, then, then the way that we live our lives um, reproves the world that's around us. It convinces them, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. 
And so Paul ended his dialogue about why we're supposed to be children who walk in the light with um, verse 14, um, that our lives have the capability of shining into the lives of those around us and awakening their conscience to their need for Christ and bringing them to him. So he said in that next verse, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So I believe what, what Paul was talking to us to, about today is that we live our lives in such a way that we are a good witness to those that are lost. And one reason that I believe that that's primarily the application of this passage is because if you go to Colossians uh, chapter number 4, verse 5, Paul used some of the same terminology right into the book or to the church at Coloss in Colossians that he did in Ephesians. And he said this, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. That is, towards those that are outside of the kingdom, that are outside of the body of Christ, those that are not yet saved, those that are still groping about in the darkness of this world. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. In verse 6 he said, Let your speech be always with grace. We talked a lot about speech last week. Let your speech be always seasoned, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, which is that, that purifying element of our speech, that truth speaking, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So he used, in, in both of those passages of Scripture, he used the term redeeming the time. He changed, there were some more of the words that changed, but he used that word redeeming the time. When we say when we say buying time, we often use that term. I'm buying. I'm buying time. What we mean by that is that we're stalling. When we say I'm, and some people will say biding time, uh, but most of us rednecks in the south say I'm buying my time. And all that means is that we're stalling because we're not quite ready. We're 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 looking for a more opportune moment. Um, we 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 want a little bit more time to accomplish the task that's been given to us. But when Paul uses that term, redeeming the time, that's not what he means. What he literally means is that we, that we are buying the time for the best possible use of it. We're buying the time for ourselves that we might use it properly. Not that we can stall for more time, but that we can take the time that's been given to us and use it to the utmost benefit. That's what he means by redeeming the time and his method for redeeming the time is seen in that 15th verse walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise when we do that we are redeeming the time walk circumspectly not as not as fools but as wise that word circumspectly is not a word that we use often it's translated I think four or five other times in the King James Version it's translated diligently a couple of times, and it's translated perfectly a couple of times. Uh, but, the, but the main, if you look at all of the places that it's used, it literally is that you walk carefully, that you live your life carefully, making the best use of the time that we have been given. Live your life in consideration of the fact that it is having an impact on the people that are around you. Now he used this term in Colossians, walk in wisdom. I think when he said walk circumspectly and walk in wisdom, he meant the same thing. Don't be a fool, but use the time that God has given you to walk in wisdom 
with special consideration to those that are not yet inside the fold, that are not part of the body, that are not part of the kingdom, but that he has called us to reach in this world for his glory. Walk carefully. So I want to talk to you this morning about buying time by walking in wisdom. Buying time by walking in wisdom. That is making the best use of the time that God has allotted to us by walking in wisdom, especially with regard to those that are not yet part of the family of God. Now, I don't try real hard to alliterate stuff. And alliterate just means that I'm using the same letter over and over for the main points. But this one alliterated pretty easily. Alliteration is good for me because it helps me rehearse my sermon in my mind over and over and over again. And it's sometimes it's good for us because we can go back and, and remember um, those alliterated letters. So this worked well for me. It was easy to alliterate. I didn't have to work hard for it. But the first thing I want to tell you, if you're going to buy time and walk in wisdom, we need a uniform walk. You look up the word uniform, it means methodical. It means orderly. It means that you consistently choose to live your life in a certain way. And I believe that's what that word circumspectly is all about. That we live our life carefully in the sense that we're living intentionally. We're living intentionally, we're not accidentally. We're living with wisdom. We're living not foolishly, but living in wisdom. We live in, we're living a careful life. Circumspectly, we walk. Carefully, we walk. When, when you have goals in mind, when, and, and, and I, mean, I know some of us are better goal setters than, than others are, but when you have goals in mind for your life, when, when you set yourself a finish line out there, regarding anything, then, then, you, then you make plans and execute those plans that are going to bring you closer and closer and closer to that ultimate goal in your life. Now, that's true of your education. Uh, we, we start that goal in kindergarten. I, I need, my, my, my family has told me the importance of a high school diploma. So if, if I'm going to make it to that graduation stage, i got to pass every grade. And if I'm going to pass every grade, I need to pass at least most of the tests that are given to me in that grade. So we make our plans and we execute those plans. And every time we make a plan and execute it, it moves us a little closer to the end of that goal. When we start talking about our career, what do I need? I have an aspiration to be a teacher or a nurse. What do I have to do to be a teacher or a nurse? And we, we understand that there are some requirements as far as our education and as our training. And so we began to put those plans in place and execute them. We do this stuff over and over again. If you want a good marriage, if you want the kind of marriage that God wants you to have, you've got to put a plan in place and then execute that plan. Uh, if you want to make a major purchase, if you want to buy an automobile, if you want to buy a house, then you've got to make a plan and execute that plan. If we've got a house that's going to cost us $1,500 a month, then we've got to have a salary that can not just make the house payment, but that can pay the utilities and the taxes and the upkeep. And so you don't buy the house until you've got a plan and a way to execute it. And every time you make a plan and execute it, it brings you a little bit closer to that goal. Now, we do that even with the simple stuff. We're trying to plan a vacation. A family vacation is the hardest thing in the world to plan. We're trying to make plans. We're looking at houses. We're, looking at try we're trying to find places to rent. And they make me choke when I look at the price on them. 
And then we're talking about the distance of riding that far with little kids. And so we're making all these plans. And at some point, you've got to pull the trigger and execute it. And hopefully, when you do that, it moves you a little bit closer to the goal. But we make those plans over and over and over again in our daily lives. A lot of you are planning for retirement. You, you've got a date in mind. And you're looking at your 401k or your retirement, and you're asking yourself, now, is that going to be enough to sustain me? If I retire at 65, I don't have enough money to live on 75. And you're making plans and executing those plans because it's moving you closer to the goal. I think all Paul is saying when he says that we're to walk circumspectly is that we ought to apply that same kind of, uh, of principle to our witness to the lost world around us and that is that every day we got to get up and live our lives making a deliberate attempt to make a positive impact on the lost world that, 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 that lives all around us. See then that you walk circumspectly, intentionally, deliberately, carefully, understanding that your purpose on earth primarily is to be a witness to the loss as an ambassador of Christ. The second thing in verse 16 that I think he's pointing us to is that it is an urgent walk. He used the term redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's, there's an urgency in what we do in that our impact has an expiration date. Do you understand that the impact that you have in this world has an expiration date. It has an expiration date both for you and for those people that are watching you. You only have a specified amount of time to be a witness to those that God places in your life. And the Apostle Paul said we need to redeem the time. We need to make the best use of the time that we can because the days that we live in are evil days. Now, I, I ain't got to tell you this, but the influence of evil in the world around us don't need our help. It's everywhere. It is permeating our culture. It is all over the television. It is all over the radio. It is all in the newspapers. It is all in the atmosphere that surrounds us. This, this culture that we live in is, is full of wicked influence. But the influence of righteousness is in short supply. So we need to live our life with an urgency that we only have a window of opportunity. Now, in some cases, in, in some cases you may only have a matter of a few moments to shed some light in the darkness. Do you get that? Well, I mean, we interact with people on a daily basis that we may not ever see again. We may not ever speak to again. We may never have another opportunity to be an influence in their life. And, and if we're going to walk circumspectly and if we're going to walk redeeming the time, then you've got to understand that my opportunity to make an impact in this individual's life may have an expiration date uh, within the next five minutes or ten minutes. I may never see him again. He may never see me again. But I'm an ambassador for Christ. So it behooves me to make the best impact I can. If he knows that I'm a Christian especially, I need, to, I, I need to make wise use of this time with what I say and with how I say it. Because there's an expiration date on the time that we spend together. Now, in, 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 other, in, in other cases, and this may even be more significant, 
We need to be more deliberate and careful about the long-term influences that we have. Because you can get it right most of the time in a few moments. But it's a little more difficult to get it right consistently. So those people that you're around on a daily basis, your co-workers and your family members and your friends that are outside, that are lost, we got to get up every morning and say, Lord, um, I don't know how much time i got with them. I don't know how much time they've got with me. But I want to walk. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to I want to walk in a deliberate, intentional way so that every opportunity that I have to influence them, that it brings them closer to you, not drives them further away from you. And I want to tell you, some of the biggest hindrances to the gospel today are the way that some Christians are living their life. It stands in the way of the truth because people look at people that they know are professing to be Christians and saying, you know, if that's the way that they're going to act, if that's the way that they're going to behave, then I don't want any part of that. The truth is this, is, is we don't ever know how much time we have or they have. And I'm, I'm talking about those momentary interactions that we have, and I'm talking about those long-term interactions we have. You don't know how long you have to make an impact. And I get frustrated sometimes because, listen to me, as parents, I'm, I'm telling you, you've got a really, really short window of opportunity to make a spiritual impact in the life of your child. Because by the time they reach that 12, and th how many of you know when they get 12, 13, you can't tell them nothing? I was 12 and 13. My daddy couldn't tell me nothing. I knew it all. Now, it, wasn't be it wasn't before I turned about 30 that I began to realize my daddy was a wise man. But when them kids start, when, when they start reaching that adolescence and they start becoming adults themselves, they don't, they don't, mom and daddy's influence don't mean as much in their life as it once did. Not that it doesn't mean anything, because it does. You need to still be consistent. But when they're children, they need to see that consistent, deliberate walk for Christ flowing out of your life. Because you don't know when that ends. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something this morning. We don't think about this often. But this is something I can promise you. Jesus is coming in your lifetime. Now you understand what I'm saying. He's coming in your lifetime. He's coming for you. Or me. Or all of us. In our lifetime. And the reality is. is the, we don't know when that day is. There's people that got up this morning planning their day that have already passed over. You don't know when your influence will come to an end abruptly. But you already, you know this, it's closer today than it was yesterday. So we got to walk with a sense of urgency knowing that we don't have much time to make an impact on the people that are around us. The third thing Paul says in verse 17 is that our walk needs to be an understanding walk. And he was very specific in that. He said, I want you to understand. I want you to live your life with an understanding of what the will of God is. Not what, not what your will is, but what is His will for your life. 
understanding. This is the way. This is a, a, a way that I have learned to think about understanding. That understanding is not just about knowing something. Understanding is about knowing something and doing something. And understanding is not profitable until, until it becomes an application of what you know. Solomon had a head full of wisdom in Proverbs, but he didn't apply any of it. Or very little of it until the end of his life. God gave him all kind of wisdom, but he didn't take that the next step and begin to apply it, which is to walk with a head full of knowledge and understanding and putting that into practice. So you know something and you do something. I don't believe understanding is done until it reaches that place of application. So what Paul said is, I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. And by saying that, I don't want you just to know what it is. I want you to do what it is. And, and, and folks, I have this question. People ask me sometimes, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. And I understand that most of the time when people say that, they're talking about, I don't know whether he wants me to be a singer or a preacher or a teacher or a missionary or I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Well, you're talking about God's specific will for your life and I can't tell you that. But I can tell you what God's universal will is for all of our lives. And in my experience, when you begin to walk in God's universal will for all Christians, you'll begin to understand more clearly what God's specific will is for your life. And so when you talk about what the will of God is, Paul wants us to understand it and to walk in it. Let me just mention three things for you. Number one, he wants us to be holy people. Distinct, different. We talked at weeks about that. I'm not going to talk to you all about it again. He don't want us to live like the world. He don't want us to look like the world, speak like the world, act like the world, think like the world. He don't want us to be like the world. There is a distinction that should surround the children of God. He wants us to be holy. That's the will of God. That's not ambiguous. That's not something that we got to figure out. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to abstain from certain things. And he wants us to participate in other things. The second thing that I know is the will of God is that he wants all men to be saved. That's what the scripture says. It is not his will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. The will of God is for the lost to be saved. Why is his judgment waiting? Because he's waiting for folks to be saved. The third thing that I know the will of God is, is that we are his ambassadors to the lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things uh, have become new. Keep reading. Because it says, And he has made us to be ambassadors of Christ. That we are to go to the world and tell the world that God is reconciling them to himself by the sacrifice of Christ. That God made Jesus to be sin for us. He knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God wants us to live holy, separated, distinct, distinguished lives. So that we can be witnesses to the lost world that he wants to save. And that's our primary purpose here. Listen, we got all eternity. We ought to worship him. We ought to praise him. We ought to serve him. We ought to do that every day of our life. But can I tell you, we got all eternity to do that. We got forever and forever and forever to do that. That don't have an expiration date on it. But your witness to a lost world has an expiration date. 
We got a window of time to make an impact. And one day that window ends. And we don't live for ourselves. Christ didn't live for himself. He lived for us. He lived to serve us. He lived to minister to us. He lived to die for us. He lived to save us. And he wants us to live in this world with an understanding that we have a brief time to make an eternal impact in the lives of the lost that are around us. God did not hide his will from us. He wrote his will to us in this book and he wrote his will to us in our hearts. And if we walk outside of God's will, it is always foolish for us. And it is always detrimental to the lost that are watching us. Did you hear what I said? When you walk outside of God's will, what is God's will? That we be holy, that, that the world be one to him, that we are his ambassadors. When you walk outside of that, you're walking in foolishness. And you're walking in such a way that it's detrimental to the lost that are around you. In verse 18, it is an under control walk. Be not drunk with wine. We're in his excess. Now, I think Paul, he's, he's illustrating something. I'm not I'm getting the whole the business of the alcohol because I think he's illustrating something in this context. Alcohol's influence makes drunks stagger. It makes them lose their inhibition. It makes them behave recklessly foolishly stupidly see I'm ashamed of them days I could be around a drunk right now for about five minutes and my patience is gone I'm like how obnoxious and Cindy will remind me you were twice that bad and I'm like I don't know how you live I don't know how you stayed with me we were at a, a couple years ago at Panama City looking out the balcony and a fellow was coming off the beach. And I knew that it was going to be like this because I'd seen him throughout the day. And when he finally got up out of that chair, I think he was going to make it. I, he fell down 30 times. I'm not exaggerating. And when he, when he walked, he walked like this. He wasn't making no forward progress. And if he made one forward, he made three backwards. And Zace is like, what's wrong with him? I said, he's drunk. That's why we don't drink. He, he, he had absolutely no control over himself at that point in his, time, in his life. Alcohol had completely taken control of his life. What Paul gave us there is an illustration. Don't be, don't, be, don't be controlled by the external influence of alcohol. Instead of being full of alcohol, be full of the Spirit. Because the filling of God's Spirit, when God by His Spirit fills you up, it gives Him control over your life. When a man is full of the Spirit... He walks like God wants him to walk. He talks like God wants him to talk. He has an attitude that is a reflection 
of Christ. He has motives that please God. So you can, you can, you can stagger around in your life. You can, you can lose your inhibitions. You can behave offensively like a drunk man. Or you can let the Spirit of God fill you and let Him control the way that you walk and talk and behave. So that when people are watching you, they understand that there is another influence that is moving and motivating your life. When you're under the influence of the Spirit, you will always produce good spiritual fruit. It'll be in your life, and it'll be through your life. Now, i got to say this. It is possible for a Christian to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. It is possible, even though the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, it is possible for you not to be obedient to Him, to grieve Him, to quench Him. What it means for a Christian to live in sin is that we do something that is against our nature, not something that is with our nature. We're, we're, we're walking contrary to the Spirit of God that lives in us. That's why we have conviction about it. That's why when we sin, we know we sin, and we're miserable in our sin. And if you sin and are not miserable in it, according to 1 John, you might want to check your salvation. You can sin, but you can't enjoy it like you used to could enjoy it. Because you've got a different influence living in you now. Well, to have the indwelling of the Spirit and to have the filling of the Spirit is not necessarily... The same thing. To be filled is a command. You get the Spirit of God when you, when you make Jesus your Lord. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. But when you are filled, that is a command that we, that we, um, that we are filled with the Spirit of God. Not just that we possess it, but that way you're filled with it. And being filled with the Spirit, I believe, is what motivates us and what checks us and what controls us and moves us to behave in such a way that the world sees Christ in us. Here's Christ in us. And, and so, so, and I, I gave an illustration of this. I'm not going to do it again. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit, all right? You've got all of Him. He's a person. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got all of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit needs to have all of you. So when you're filled with the Spirit, it's not about getting more of Him. It's about letting Him have more of you. It's about giving up control. Of, of your life, of your tongue, of your actions, of your motives, of your attitudes. It's about yielding yourself to Him and being under the control of the Spirit. Two more. It's an uplifting walk. Paul used some words in verses 19 and 20, and I know you could interpret these different ways. I, I've read some different commentaries this week, but, but this, is what I, this is what I read in in. in and, and the context that he's writing it in, this is how Paul wants us to interact with each other. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks unto God, uh, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, well, here's, here's what I envision when I read these words. That Paul wants us to live a life that sings for the glory of God. That, 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 that is outward, that people can hear and experience. That is inward, that we experience ourselves. And that is heavenward in the sense that we're doing it for the glory of God. 
and, and it's uplifting because it encourages people. And it's uplifting because it exhorts people. It is, it is generous in its giving. It is grateful in its giving. And, and I would say this. I believe spirit-filled Christians are joy-filled people whose joy spills out into the life of those people that are around them. And so I think that's why Paul connected it with that. This is the work of the Spirit. If the Spirit is filling your life, your life will sing with the joy of the Lord. And it will be both an encouragement to those that are walking with you in that walk, and it will be an exhortation to those that are not walking that walk. And, it, and both of those will be an, a heavenward extension of your love, your gratitude for Christ. And, and I, I can illustrate that simply by, by saying this. When you, are a, when you are around a spirit-filled believer, you want to be like them. I mean, I, even when I was lost, man, even I, I knew some folks that were living for Jesus that were filled with the Spirit of God, and when I got around them, I'm like, man, they got something I don't have. The joy of the Lord is there. And, and it made me crave some of that. And when I get around spirit-filled believers now, especially when I'm not where I ought to be in my walk with Christ, when I get around somebody that has the joy of the Lord exuding, they speaking to me in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They're singing and making melody in their own hearts unto the Lord. When I get around them, I want what they have. So it is an uplifting walk in that, in that we make others want that same supernatural joy feeling that we have. It spills out of our life into theirs. So our life song should be uplifting. It should help those that are around us be drawn to an uplifted Christ. Ain't that what Jesus said? If I be lifted up. I'll draw all men into myself. Now I know what he was talking about in that context. He meant what he did on the cross. If you lift me up on that cross, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I'll draw people into myself. But you've got to understand this. The way that we live our life uplifts the one who died for us. Or it doesn't. If we live that uplifting, if we live that uplifting walk, they're drawn to him. Last point. It's an upward walk. I noticed this as I was closing out. I almost didn't even add this point. But Paul said some things in those last three verses. In verse 19, he ended with that we do, that we that we sing those songs, that we do those things to the Lord. In verse 20, he said that we give that we give thanks in all things unto God and the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, he said that we submit ourselves one another in the fear of God. And so to, to walk in wisdom means that we walk with the focus of our life being to please and honor and glorify God. The Lord Jesus Christ. That we have an upward view on life. That we know this is not the end. 
that we know that we got a short window of time to make an impact and that we that we keep in view our primary purpose by keeping in view the primary object of our worship the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because one day our life on earth is going to end and all of our opportunities to be a witness to the lost will be over but if God is our focus if we live our life upwardly with Christ, set your affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Colossians chapter 3 said. If we live with God as our focus, we're going to always have eternal matters in mind. I'm going to encourage you to go look this. You've heard me say this quote often, but it's actually part of a longer poem written by a man by the name of C.T. Studd. S-T-U-D-D. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. That's how you walk in wisdom. That's how you buy time. That's how you make an impact on the lost people that are around you. You live your life for the glory of Christ. I'm going to close with this illustration. Uh, Chuck Swindoll shared it. He said a banker called a man one Friday afternoon and said, beginning on Monday morning, I have a Benefactor who wants to make a deposit into your checking account every day of eight or eighty six thousand four hundred pennies, eight hundred sixty four dollars every day, seven days a week, six thousand forty eight dollars a week, three hundred fourteen thousand four hundred ninety six dollars a year. Every day, 86,400 pennies. The only catch is that you've got to spend every penny every day or you lose it. You can't carry it over. So every day, you've got to spend 86,400 pennies. The reality of our life is that every day God gives us 86,400 seconds. 1,440 minutes, 24 hours. And we spend it every day. All of it. The question is whether we spend it wisely. With time and eternity in view. Chuck Swindoll said this after that illustration. Life is a lot like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish. But you can only spend it once.
I want to make every second count for Christ. I tell you, I've already wasted enough. I spent the first 27 years of my life wasting. I realized this past year that I have crossed the halfway point now from a wasted life to a life lived for Christ. I've seen a lot of people on their deathbed. I hadn't ever seen anybody on their deathbed that regretted one minute that they gave to Jesus. And I promise you this, when we step across into eternity, I believe every one of us, to a person, will say, wish I had done more. Wish I'd served more. Wish I'd have witnessed more. Wish I'd have gave more. Wish I'd have worshipped more. Wish I had glorified Him more. Because what I see now, what I'm experiencing now, makes all that frivolous living seem such a waste. Paul wants to walk in wisdom. Because there's lost people all around us. That God wants to make a part of his kingdom. And he wants to use us to extend the invitation. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would speak into our lives and that you would make your word come alive. Make it impactful, influential, God, that, that what we've heard today will, will change us from the inside out. That we'd never live the same way again. That's my prayer. I don't know that the world has yet seen church that is completely sold out walking in wisdom walking with an understanding that there's a lost world around us that you have called us to reach as your ambassadors settle that in our hearts here today and Lord I don't know the, I don't know the hearts of the people that are gathered here today I, I, I see fruit in many of their life and some Lord I don't I don't know their relationship with you but I know that I've met a lot of people that have had a bad experience with another believer and it soured them toward the church sometimes even towards you sometimes God life experiences do the same thing but I, I pray God this morning if there's one here that doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior I just want to lift him up to them this morning and say that there's no flaw in him. Herod couldn't find it. And 
Pilate couldn't find it and the Pharisees couldn't find it and his friends knew that it wasn't there there are still some faults in his people still some faults in his church but there's no fault in the Lamb of God and so I pray that above all else that they've seen and heard that they see Jesus first high and lifted up to save them and if they'll by faith bow at his feet this morning you'll save them just like you saved us and I pray you do that in this time of invitation and we'll give you glory and honor and praise for it